Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. In this series, we're looking at the challenging chore of publishing a paper. So far, we've looked at getting your paper published and making sure that other people actually read it. But this has all been with the conventional approach to scientific publishing in mind. And the reality is that in the 21st century, things are changing. And so this week, in the final episode of this four-part series, we're taking a look at how papers are evolving. We're discussing the future of the academic paper. There are many ways that manuscripts are mutating, from different approaches to peer review to reformatting the structure of the paper itself. But just adding some extra details to publications can also have profound impacts. Here's Antarctica scientist Pippa Whitehouse of Durham University in the UK. I think something which is very positive for the publishing process is the summaries that are often included. I think it started with papers that sort of forced you to include maybe three bullet points that summarise the important results. And often now there's a short layman's review of the work and I find this really useful in subjects slightly outside my field. I see a title that looks useful. I don't quite understand the language in the technical abstract, but sometimes the layman's abstract um, can just give me enough insight into that study. And I think that's a really, really useful thing that's happened in the last four or five years. But this is far from the only change that researchers will have noticed over the last half decade or so. Another, of course, is the rise of preprint servers. These provide researchers with the opportunity to present their work to wider audiences before their papers have been peer-reviewed and published in a journal. For environmental scientist Jen Burney of the University of California, San Diego, this can have big benefits. You can spend two years trying to get it into the right place, and nobody really knows that you've gotten anywhere with this, right? And so I think there's a benefit both to the individuals who've worked on a project and to the community as a whole who's trying to think about, you know, where the next pushes need to be, right, sort of what people are doing and where I might make a contribution, to have preliminary versions of things out there for people to see. Preprint servers have in fact been around for decades, the best known being Archive, which hosts papers in mathematics and the physical sciences. 
But they're still evolving and growing, and researchers in different fields are still discussing their benefits. One such researcher is systems biologist Salvanaz Sarabipur of Johns Hopkins University in Maryland, USA. Salvanaz recently published a paper in PLOS Biology titled On the Value of Preprints, an Early Career Researcher Perspective. She's become a big fan of preprint servers, not least because of the easy access they provide to research. I'm originally from Iran, and I have seen for many years how researchers are struggling with access to scientific data in um, countries where uh, it's, it's hard to even gain funds to perform research, let alone have access to research or, or publish research. So, uh, And we realized that many early career researchers are unaware of the benefits, so we decided to write this piece. I called Salvanaz up to discuss why researchers are turning to preprints and why some might still feel a little bit cautious. I started by checking the fundamentals, what preprint servers actually serve to do. They are online servers where you can deposit your manuscript or nearly complete scientific work or even your conference abstract free of charge. And everyone in the world who has access to internet uh, would be able to access your work. And why would a researcher want to publish on a preprint rather than holding out until uh, their paper hopefully passes peer review? Well, it's very beneficial for researchers to deposit their work immediately because journals are not able to do that. And what preprinting is doing is that it's decoupling dissemination from the peer review process. It's wonderful to have it published earlier when journals would spend six months to years sometimes uh, sending it through cycles of review. So the peer review process is inhibitory to dissemination. But the peer review process, of course, has added value. So the preprint server clearly states that the work is not peer-reviewed, but the work is accessible to all immediately. Are there times when researchers might want to choose not to publish their work on preprint servers, and what kind of times would those be? The only incidents that I could think of would be if your work is patentable. And um, in that case, I think uh, researchers wait and patent the work and then preprint it. If, if they are hoping to send it to a journal later for peer review. And it's key that researchers first check the journal that they're interested in publishing uh, to find out about their preprint policies. Now, you've written a paper specifically on uh, preprints for early career researchers. How, how does the role of preprints change at different stages of an academic career? As an early career and very early career researcher, of course, you don't have many papers. So uh, it's wonderful to have something out quicker and be able to discuss that with your colleagues and more senior researchers. Uh, Researchers can notice each other's work quicker. They contact each other. If they have something similar, they may start collaborating and producing a common paper. And it, it accelerates the early career researchers' training and the quality of training. Now, how do preprint servers change the process of writing a paper, dealing with the publication process, and also promoting a paper once it finally comes out? After your work is disseminated on a preprint server, you have a chance to receive feedback from the community. Uh, So this is different from the classic process where 
researchers would send maybe their manuscript to a limited number of colleagues confidentially and then proceed to journal submission. Uh, the authors then can respond to the comment and subsequently, if needed, revise their preprint before submitting to a journal for peer review. And for you, what do you think the future of preprint servers is? Oh, the future is very bright. There are already many servers in specific fields uh, available to researchers. So there is Earth Archive, there is uh, Engineering Archive, there is Psychology Archive, there is one for Paleontology, and there are also servers for different regions of the world and countries. Millions of people uh, read and view preprints. Do you have any other thoughts on how uh, the process of paper publishing in journals will change in the future? I also do think that the open access aspect of preprints is very valuable for researchers in other countries, not just the ones that are privileged to have subscription through their libraries to journals. I think that it will accelerate science as a global enterprise and it will really benefit the public globally. That was Salvanaz Sarabapal. And many researchers, like Salvanaz, swear by preprints. And it's not unusual for journalists to cover preprint papers, albeit hopefully with more caution than they would a peer-reviewed manuscript. But not every researcher in every field is happy to show their work in progress in this way. Here's Catalyst researcher Ben List of the Max Planck Institute for Coal Research in Germany. With these preprint servers, you know, this is something that's a bit risky, I would say, in my field of chemical synthesis because it's like it's a different thing in, in physics or biology where experiments take a long time and typically you know who are working on, on these experiments. In chemistry, you know, you see something and then within a few days you can, you can actually reproduce this work. So I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, even though I've just submitted a paper on, on, on Chem Archive, uh, if this is the future of publishing in chemistry at least. But Ben isn't a stickler for tradition. In fact, he's embarked on an experiment to tinker with one of the central pillars in all of science, the peer review process. He's doing this because while he is a chemist, he has another important role. I'm editor-in-chief of the journal Sunlet, and that's a journal that's specialized in uh, chemical synthesis. Last year, we celebrated our 30th birthday, so it's a relatively young, well, in comparison to Nature, for example, relatively young journal. Well, even though it is 30 years old now, it, it is still trying to do things in a youthful and new way. What is Sinlet doing perhaps a bit differently to, to some other journals? So in the past, we, we would do everything pretty much the same as other journals. Um, but what we really do differently now is our peer reviewing. Pretty much everybody in, in scientific publishing thinks about peer review, right? The principle is exactly the same as it used to be several hundred years ago, in fact. And there are other, to my knowledge, other attempts have been made to advance this. But our idea was really, how can we make use of all these powerful tools of the internet to come up with a better and faster way to do peer review? Because you know, not only can the quality sometimes suffer in, in peer reviewing, but also the space is a bit, it can be a bit slow. And then, and then in the end of it, you get like, I don't know, a couple of sentences that are not very useful, right? 
So what did you actually set out to do differently at Synlet? Our idea was, let's use this uh, energy of the internet where people like to connect with each other and, and uh, you know, think about WhatsApp and Facebook, uh, these uh, social media, and, and also crowd reviewing, which I think originally is a term that came from product reviews, right? And we wanted to use these elements in a new format for, for peer review. And the way we did it was we increased the referee pool. So we have typically, let's say, 70 people at the same time, but these are selected uh, experts on chemical synthesis, and let them interact. Basically what happens is they get a link in an email, they click on it, a PDF appears in a browser, and then they can start commenting on that PDF. Sounds very simple, and it is very simple, but it's also very effective. And, and so now you, the, the referee will, get, will see the PDF and he might, find, might put his opinion there in a little text box. And then all the 69 other referees see this opinion and can, in principle, also comment on it. And that's it. So you have a, a larger referee size and you have the ability of these referees to interact with each other. And that's what makes it so powerful. Because if you think about classical peer review, one, one of the problems is you have only two people typically, right? Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's more, that comment on your work. And imagine one of them is biased, for example. He could be your good friend, which is, which is maybe good for you if you're the, the author, but not so good for science. So all these, and then 50% then of your material is basically uh, useless. So, so if you have 70 referees, you will always get enough information and you get, because there are so many, and not all of them need to write even, within two days typically, we have more than enough uh, substantive feedback. And, and the biasing problem, if he's like either your good friend or your enemy, will be immediately corrected because there are 69 other referees that see your bias and will, will say, no, this is not right, actually. You often hear stories about it being hard to find reviewers for papers, even when only two or three reviewers are required. So expecting a pool of some 70 reviewers to be there as soon as you need them, isn't that making that even more challenging? Yeah, you're right. It sounds like it. In practice, actually, it does work with Sundet. So we now completely switch to only this format because it works so well. But I tell you what the, the secret is. The secret is while there are 70 referees at the same time, not all of them need to write. In fact, if you're busy and you don't have time, you don't have to do anything because there are 69 others that will, will do the job. In a, in a sense, this is sort of a, a crowd intelligence-based refereeing. And so we get our, our results quickly and we get enough substantive information to make a really good decision. That's how it makes my life easier as the, as the editor. Now, of course, you're singing its praises. You're very happy with how it's going. Have there been any hiccups or challenges that you've encountered along the way of setting it up? Just in case you have somebody misbehaving or, or people don't even comment, like they, they, are, they just go there and watch and never comment, then we can just replace them. So there's, this occasionally happens, but as I said, it's actually kind of rare. But if it happens, it's, it's like, a, like an organism that some cells dies and, and new cells come in and so we just hire new, new referees. Are any other journals 
looking to, to, to start this? I travel the world as, as so many scientists and I give talks about my science, but now I find myself often in a situation where I get more questions to crowd reviewing than to my science, which is a little <laughs> bit, a bit annoying, right? I want to talk about my science. <laughs> but suffice to say, there are several other journals and several other publishing houses that have developed interest in, in this method, but also funding agencies because they have the same problem, right? And how have the paper authors themselves been responding? Have they managed to adapt to this new style of peer review? Well, they're also happy if they get the results quickly, right? I, sometimes you submit a paper, then you wait four weeks, and then, and then you get a triage from the editor because he was so busy. And, and of course, that's super disappointing for authors. Right, we can all we all have papers rejected, manuscripts rejected. And, but if we get this information quickly, I think it's kind of nice, especially if it's you know substantive with substantive comments. And as I said, it's going really, really well. All our manuscripts are, are reviewed after three days. Like, can you do you know any other journal who who is that fast and still doing you know a very detailed uh, uh, job? Beyond just this kind of uh, pool of peer reviewers, what, what's your vision or hope for the future of academic paper publication? One thing I, I, I see how peer reviewing could evolve is imagine if the authors are also involved in this crowd reviewing uh, situation, right? The, the editor can be there and the authors can be there and they can argue with the referees, right? Then there's a little discussion going on. I would like that. Ben List there. Sinlet's approach to peer review is just one example of how journals are beginning to tinker with the new tools that online social media provide. Another is to keep the practice more or less the same, but to make it transparent. In fact, Nature recently announced that it would give authors the option of having referee reports published, along with their own responses and rebuttals, once a manuscript is ready. Pippa, who you heard from earlier, thinks this kind of approach has some important benefits. I've published in some of the EGU journals where the whole process is open. And so the reviews and the response to the reviews are open to the public. And I like that process. I, I think it forces people to think carefully about the comments that they write. And it's actually useful to sometimes read the reviewer comments as well as the final paper. It gives some insight into how science is really done and, and how it's discussed to, to reach the conclusions that are published. And neuroscientist Agustina Banez of the Institute of Cognitive and Translational Neuroscience in Argentina and the University of California, San Francisco, agrees. And I think that is such important because science is not an static object. It's, it's a really a dynamic one. And all the results or even the argumentations is, is a dynamic process that doesn't finish with your first draft or your paper. So uh, having a more transparent process for this is, is I think, is a, of extreme importance in the process of publication. No matter how the process evolves and whatever the paper of the future looks like, one thing is for certain. Papers are the backbone of science, building careers and spreading research around the world, to other academics and to the general public. So whether you're setting out to publish your very first paper, or you're just beginning to put together your 100th manuscript, what are you waiting for? Get to work and start sharing your research. 
Thanks for listening to this mini-series of Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. Find all the episodes and much, much more over at nature.com forward slash careers. Until next time, I'm Adam Levy. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.